Perfect. Welcome back to the Play Big Podcast, where we're having conversations with people that are playing big in business, in life, and in finance. And today I have a distinct honor of sitting with a friend, Rob Sperry. Rob, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. I mean, this is quite the setup. I've done a lot of podcasts. This may top them all. Yeah. Well, we try to make people feel homey, feel at home, to have a nice conversation. So just to get started, who is Rob Sperry and what makes you go? Oh, man. The first thing I always think of is family. I know you know that. I think about starts with the queen, my wife, and and that's, you know, just the most important relationship here on this earth. I think about my incredible kids and extended friends and family. And then for me, uh, I know that uh, if I take care of my relationship with God, then all of those other relationships are there. And so that's where it, it all ties in. It's all about relationships and connections with me. Yes. And so how long have you been married for? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Man. Congratulations. Yeah. What have you What have you learned in the process of, of marriage? Oh, geez. Where do we even begin? That's like a 10-hour podcast, right? <laughs> I would say lots of different things. I mean, one of the biggest things when people ask, like, well, how and what? And I feel like I have as good of a marriage as you possibly can. My wife has an extremely strong personality, very feisty, which to me I, I just love, and it's very attractive to me at the same time and also frustrating. And I also have a very strong personality. But we have so many opposite qualities that help each other out. And so mm. when we got married... We made this commitment that we would never, ever say the D word. So divorce, right. it's never been mentioned once. Now, I guarantee in her mind there's been several times <laughs> where like, she's hey, like, man, look, I won't oh, say I'm going to drop it. I'm going <laughs> to drop it, right? But And that means a lot because we've had times where you, know, you go through life and you're frustrated and sometimes it's her fault, sometimes it's my fault, sometimes it's a little bit of both, but it's like, we know we love each other and we understand what love is. We understand, you know, part of love is a commitment. It's a process, right? And we're going to go through our highs and our lows. And she helps pull me up when I'm going through my lows. And I help pull her up when she's going through hers. And we know that no matter what happens, no matter how pissed off we are at each other, we are always a team. And mm -hmm. it's like one of those things is just unsaid. Like we just, we just know it. And I also feel like as we both get older, we're quicker to forgive, mm. right? Whereas before it was like you hold like these grudges and now it's like she could be pissed off or I could be pissed off and it's like five minutes later she'll ask me about this or ask her about that. And we just we just understand each other. Right. So it's been good. That's awesome. How many kids do you have? Four. Four kids. How, how Ages? Yeah. All this is 18, just graduated. So awesome. we started having kids really, really young, got married young. She never wanted to or planned on getting married young. It's just one of those things that just happened. And so he's 18, and then we have a 16-year-old girl, and then we have another girl who's 13, just got her first boyfriend. Please help me, help me, help me. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had to offer $1,000 if she can wait till she's 16 to have her first kiss, and I'll... she was still considering it, which wow. we know she's not going to make it, but let's <laughs> right. get her, like, another year. And then our youngest is nine, and he's a boy. So one one boy, the oldest, then two girls, and then another oh, boy. Oh, that's the awesome. End. Like a little Oreo cookie. Yeah. Let's sandwich the girls in the yeah. middle, man. That's awesome. And what, what have you learned about yourself being being a father? Wow. I mean, it's like all of your weaknesses are just, just like they're exaggerated, right? You, you find with your kids, I always teach whatever you, whatever you do well duplicates sometimes. Mm. Whatever you do poorly almost always duplicates. Uh, interesting. So we see that in business, leadership, right. life, and you see that especially as parents. 
And so it really challenges you to be better. I mean, it's like even music that I just turn, I wouldn't even think about. And I'd listen. All of a sudden, your kids are in the car, and you're like, what am I listening to? Right? It's <laughs> right. like, oh, jeez, like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta switch it up a little bit. And movies, same thing. It's like, it's like even the little details mm. and setting examples. Or mom's like, hey, can you help out this? And it's like, yeah, I'm good. I'll help out, you know, in an hour. And it's like, well, no. Number one, that's not good with the relationship. And right. two, it's like now your kids see that, and they'll pick up on it. And so for me, it's helped a ton to become just a better human being in general. Also, I would say that kids are the greatest joy mm -hmm. and the greatest challenge. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand how much my parents loved me until I had kids. Interesting. Because you love what you serve. Mm. And your kids don't serve their parents as much as the parents serve the Correct. kids. Yes. So it's, it's impossible right. to understand or have the same love you think you do but you don't really actually realize. And so for me, I'm, I'm a crazy patient person with most things. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I have kids and this is like a whole new level of just patience, yeah. right? I mean, our, our third child, lover to death, I swear the first six years at church, there wasn't one time where I had to take her out because she's like kicking and screaming about something, right. right? And so the best analogy I give, and you'll understand this as a parent, and yeah, our youngest is nine now, is... Your favorite time was when they wake up in the morning, you get to see them and you get those hugs and kisses. And your next favorite time is when they go to bed and you don't put have them, to put see them, put them back down. Anymore. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Those well, they two deal times. with you all day long. Yeah. So. That's awesome. You um you also said that grounded in in your relationship with God. How how yeah. has your relationship with God impacted um, your relationships, your family relationships, and also guided you in in business? Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually the most important mm -hmm. relationship that centers everything, that gives perspective on everything, starting from, you know, you're, you know, I'm really big on, on talking about vision. And I believe most of the decisions that we all make are all about what your, what your big vision is, and then oftentimes, right, vision in the moment. But the big vision helps the smaller vision. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a bigger vision of, you know, what you do in this life makes a difference after, right? right? There's the great quote from Gladiator, like echoes in the eternities, 100%, right? Yeah. And so that type of stuff helps you. And so there was a quote that that I had heard like similarities to and kind of came up with my own version of rich people think long-term, poor people think short-term, that spiritually, financially, physically, mentally, and in all aspects of life. Mm. And so having that relationship with God helps give you the importance of both the short-term and also the long-term vision of what really matters most and, and what we're doing um, to be happy. And that's how I look at it. Right. And so it, it's affected, you know, with my wife and I being the core of what's the most important. It's helped us with, with gratitude. It's helped us with understanding the importance of relationships, um, everything. It's the same thing with, you know, with kids. You do your best to teach the kids, but also trying to have that balance because, you know, kids are kids. They want to do what they want. Right. And you want to lead them and help them, but you also don't want them to make them feel like, well, I have to believe That's this, right? right? Yeah, and then after, it. and so it's like, it's such a balance between teaching them principles. Mm. Um, and then in the end, you know that someday they're going to be making their own, all of their own decisions right. and, and that's okay. And so um, I have a motto that um, it sounds bad at first. It's not, but it's, it's, um, do your best and F the rest. The F stands for forget. 
And that's just kind of, that's, that's, that's all you can wow. do, whether it's a parent, whether it's in anything in life. And so we just center that as much as we can around God and always just giving gratitude. So one of my goals when I got into entrepreneurism was before I was running a tennis club, I said, Hey, when I become an entrepreneur, I want to start paying more money back, donating more mm. money than what I made. Wow. And I was making, you know, $100,000 a year running a tennis club, donating $10,000 a year. So I said, I want to donate over $100,000 wow. a year. And now I get to do that consistently and have done that consistently over and over again. That's and so, so that's, awesome. again, that's like a drive, a purpose right. where you can have a new reassociation to money and what money can do. Right. Um, recognizing God puts a, a vision in, inside of you and it can be a big, big vision. Yeah. When, when did you first learn to trust a vision that God put inside of you? When, when, did, when did, how did that happen? Because, I mean, it's, it, you know, you, you, you get a vision and you're like, hmm, I don't know exactly where this is coming yeah. from. But when, when did you first realize, man, this is coming from God and I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to pursue this vision that I believe God has given to me? Yeah. Good question. For me, it was actually at a young age. I always felt like I had a strong conscience and you, sometimes it's really hard to d discern the difference between conscience, right? And is this like coming from from God, the Holy Spirit, like, you know, and even still sometimes it's hard right. to, to discern. Um, and so I, I was kind of wasn't sure. Um, growing up, I just had a strong conscience. And mm. then I had, a, as you've heard before, I had a dramatic experience with my little brother who right. passed away. I was in the car. My dad was driving me. My dad fell asleep. I was 16 years old. My little, little brother was 10 years old. And it was actually that experience. And mm. it was like after that, it was like, this feeling that was so strong for that next week, like nothing I had ever, ever felt before mm. that um, just came to me. And it's I had this weird thought that you would think you'd have the opposite of being like this massive victim going to depression. And I was just very blessed. And this, this, these thoughts came into my mind. And one of them was just part of that vision was that I was going to be someone that made people feel important, that mm. I was going to be someone that was going to bring people together in everything that I did, and that I was going to become a leader. Now, I, I didn't have, didn't fully understand, like, the words, right? I right. didn't understand the feelings. I didn't understand, like, what that really meant, right? And even still, different things um, <laughs> come about and show themselves. Right. But it was weird. At a young age, I had a perspective of, of an 80 year old. Mm. Like I started thinking about death, not in a morbid way, in a perspective way of what if, what if I pass away? And then I had a wife and kids and, and I still think about that on a daily basis. Wow. What if my wife passed away? Mm -hmm. What if my kids passed away? And it doesn't make me perfect. I'm far from it. You can ask my wife, but yeah, it yeah. does, it does help me to be a better father, husband, leader, friend, human being because of that mm. and so for me it was it was a very very young age and and again it's it's kind of you know part of that vision is learning what your talents are right right and that's and once you learn those talents you focus on them and so even this last year i wrote down one word on the board i'll tell you what that word is in a second but that one word i wrote on the board um was one of those words that was inspired i was trying to figure out okay how can i actually increase my influence mm. how can i make more money What's something I would have fun doing, have energy that would fill, fulfill my talents? Right. And that one word was collaboration. Wow. And I look at, you know, some of the things 
we're doing now. Mm-hmm. We met years ago. Right. I look at some of the things that I'm doing with several other friends that have just come about like in the last four or five months, a couple of huge things that will be announced in the next two months. All of it comes back to collaboration wow. and that vision from a long time ago. That's awesome. That's And where, where, where does your choosing a word, um, finding a word that, you know, has relevance or meaning or came from somewhere and it's like, I'm going to have this one word. How do you uh, yourself maintain obedience to a word or a vision? Because it's not like, oh, I put down this (laughs) word and all of a sudden instantaneous collaborations are taking place. How how does Rob stay obedient to, to, to that vision or to that word or that intention? I've got to visualize it. And part of the visualization for me is, is I've got this massive whiteboard mm. and I write it down so I can see it every day in my office. And then what I do is, is as new thoughts and ideas and inspiration come, mm-hmm. then I add below the word of ways that I can make that happen. Mm. And so I've constantly updated that. Now, of course, sometimes there's even more structure or there's certain things that you need to do and you put in your calendar and you set reminders and do it. But I have it right now on my board. I have the word collaboration and I have right now, you know, certain things have been deleted, certain things been added. I think I have eight or nine different things that are listed right below that word. That's awesome. Right, right, right in your face every single day. Um, Growing, growing up, you had this, um, traumatic experience yeah. what you're talking about you have this vision you have this idea that you're gonna be a person of influence you're gonna empower people and do all those kinds of things when did you when did you first realize man i i'm i'm a talented individual like when did you start to see the fruitions of man i am <laughs> i have what is inside of this vision that was given to me yeah i think it showed itself in different ways at different times mm. so I went out and I served a humanitarian type mission when I was a teenager. I lived in Argentina and I was there for a couple of years, learned how to speak Spanish fluently. In fact, I didn't even speak English more than a couple of times a year. Wow. That's how I immersed myself to actually just learn it. Right. Um, I got back and I played some college tennis, got married and I said, okay, what's next? And I had these aspirations to run a tennis club. And so for me at that time, that was what I was going to do. And I, I started running a tennis club at age 24, which mm. most tennis club directors are 50. Wow. Okay. So for that world, I know it's a different world. Right. There's not insane money, but for that world, that was a massive achievement. Mm. So the influence that I had in the, in the community for kids, even for adults, even for super wealthy people, or I was teaching them tennis or I was teaching their kids tennis, um, they actually had a huge impact on me. Mm. Um, you know, I remember teaching, there were two billionaires and I didn't even know at the time, found out later that I'd been teaching them and their kids tennis and felt pretty dumb when I told them that I was raising my prices from $70 an hour to 90, <laughs> right. are they okay with it? And right. like, yeah, yeah, we're good. And later they're like, do you know who that is? And they told me, I'm like, what an idiot. I feel so <laughs> stupid. They were probably like, yeah, yeah we're, no problem, pal. we're good. And so at that point I knew that I was good at that, mm. right? But I thought that was it. I thought, okay, I'm just going to be like, you know, the top person in Utah. I'm going to build this big program and influence so many kids and adults. And then after that, I actually got into sales. Mm. Now with sales, my biggest fear was public speaking. And so I started out and I did really well at sales. And I'm like, oh yeah, we need you to, to help out a little bit and share your story. And first it was 10 people and then it was 20 and then it was 50 and it was 100. 
and I wasn't very good at it, but mm-hmm. I had become good at sales. And so I thought, okay, well, this is a way to have even more of an impact all, you know, across these, these different right. sales industries. Then eventually I started getting a little better at public speaking and had a better story from sales. And so they said, okay, well, can you speak to more people and more people and more people? And then eventually, before you know it, I was a public speaker, but I actually didn't think I was very good as a public mm. speaker. It was just I had such a good story and credibility Interesting. that they asked me to be. And it wasn't until I had done public speaking, like focused for several years, that I felt like I was pretty good. And then after doing that for another year or two, I felt like, okay, now I'm, 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 I'm really good at this. And this is something that I can empower people at another level. And right. so now I've looked at it. I've spoken, I think I was looking the other day, 23 different countries awesome. I've been paid to speak That's in. That's awesome. And so to answer your question, written books, but to answer your question, it's like different moments. It shows itself because probably if, if God showed me the plan, right, you're going to be a public speaker. I'd be like, right. okay, yeah. we're done. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I'm, out. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, I got to go find something else right. to believe in, right? You yeah. know, and so it was like showed itself and, you know, who knows what else is in store. It's like, I'm just trying to focus as much as I can on the moment. And I believe that, I think it was Tony Robbins that said the definition of happiness is progress. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's always what I'm focused on that's is progress. Awesome. Um, tennis player to say to salesperson. That's <laughs> like, that's like a, it's oh. an interesting jump. What, 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 what was the jump for that? And then how are you good at sales? Cause most people, if they haven't done sales, yeah. they're usually it's like public speaking. They'd rather drink a bottle of Clorox bleach than sell something or speak on a stage. But yeah. how, how'd you go from tennis coach to in sales and also actually be good at it? Yeah. One of the guys that I taught his kids tennis to, he was, I mean, had made at that point, I don't know, 30, $40 million, massive net worth, lots of real estate, done really well at sales. And he just sat me down and he said, look, I know you. I love you. I love your family. Like this guy's going out of town every like three weeks. Right. And my wife and I are just young, married. We're like, yeah, we'll go watch your kids. He's got a plane. He's got all the cars. He's got like outdoor soccer filled with outdoor wow. like movie theater right like everything he's got everything sand volleyball court pool Dang house resort yeah and we were just like yeah we'll watch your kids and we get paid to do it <laughs> that's right you know we're broke and and um he said look he said you've heard the definition sandy he's like where do you see yourself 10 years from now mm. there's only so much upside in coaching tennis he said i get tennis is your dream but you don't have to make money doing it Let's make enough money elsewhere so that you actually have more time, which your real dream is your family and spending time with them. And then he said, and you can go do tennis for fun. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but how? Mm. And so he pitched me on that vision. And so my fears on a scale one to 10 were a nine. Right. But the goals, dreams, and ambitions were a 10. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, if you can teach me how, I'm tough. I'll do it. Um, I won't necessarily be great, but I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I had really good relationships, strong relationships, strong connections, a lot of trust, a lot of credibility. But on the opposite side, I wasn't good at sales. Mm-hmm. And so I made up for for what I was good at and what I was bad at. I, I was able to actually go over to his house for three years, five out of the seven days a week. Wow. And he just let me use his pool house as an office. He was retired. So he's like, yeah, I'm happy. I'll just come help you. I'll come out work with you, help with calls, anything that you need. 
And so uh, he did that and just person. I mean, he was awesome and brutal and mm. awesome and brutal all right. at the same time. Yeah. Tough love. And that really, really helped me out. And so for me, he cast that vision that, yeah, you can't have that time freedom. Mm -hmm. And so now, fast forward, I coach both my kids' high school tennis teams for free. That's awesome. So it's like five to six months a year, 25 hours a week. I don't have to worry about money right. or anything like that with them. And that was part of the the dream that I had, mm. which is so fun. And and you guys were in Vegas. I was just in Vegas, but I was at my, my kids' tennis tournament. So I get oh, to travel cool. with them. and and be with them and so the vision was just really big and clear from him how, did, how 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 does it feel um being a good tennis coach yeah. right early on in your life to you being a good tennis player also being a good coach um to now coaching your kids how, what what's the the difference in feeling from coaching other people <laughs> other families other people's the, kids the emotional to, to your extremes. own dreams how own. about that yeah so the highs are 10 times higher when they're good yeah and the lows are 10 times worse when they're bad it's like i mean my daughter knows this when she loses i feel like i lost hmm. right um not in a negative way it's not about results right um and I just mean like if she has a bad moment or something we work on, I'm just like, oh. Feel it too. But then when she wins, it's like, and sometimes winning doesn't necessarily mean winning. Like she just played this tennis match down in Vegas against a girl she was supposed to get smoked against. She loses the first set 6-3, she wins the second set 6-3, and then they play a tiebreaker to decide the third. Right. First one a 10, and she lost at 11-9. Wow. To me, she won. Mm. She was supposed to get killed. Right. And it's progress, right? Yes. Progress, progress, progress. And so for me, that was winning, and I was just, like, beaming. I was so excited because she showed progress. Then the next match, she plays a similar girl, and she's done well against her, but this girl's supposed to kill her. And she wins the first two games and then just emotionally just fell apart. She wow. lost three games in a row, and it's like it's just momentum wow. built the opposite way. Mm. And it was, like, one of those, you know, the same thing where you're just like, oh, like, what? How can I help her, right? right? And a lot of it's her. Um, and so it's, you get to ride it, but in the end, you know, I keep telling her, I'm like, we won't remember that match that you lost. What we're going to remember is that we went together and we hung out That's we awesome. were in Vegas and, That's a cool perspective. you know, and that sort of thing. I said, so, and I asked him like, do you remember who'd you lose to a year ago? Right. She's like, I don't know. I'm like, That's my point. So just let's go. Yeah. Let's just have fun. It's another, another step in, step in the process when you're, when you're coaching as a father and as a coach. Is it hard for you or your children to separate my dad from, <laughs> from oh man, you're my coach versus you're my dad? Don't talk to me like my dad. Don't talk to me like oh, a coach. Or does it bleed over into the home? Yeah, so it doesn't bleed over in the home, but um, each kid's a little different. Um, you know, it depends on the child. My oldest son, it was like just fighting like every time. So finally, I'm like, that's fine. I'm like, you can have your your uncle who also played college tennis and other people and. And then all of a sudden he got to high school. He's like, Dad, I wish I would have had you coach the last three years. You're so good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's right. Jim Rohn says, mm -hmm. when the student's ready, the teacher yeah, will appear. 100%. Same thing happened with my daughter. Worked with her, worked with her. And then she went through the, the middle school years, got a little frustrated. And then especially just recently, it's like now not only does she want me to come, but she does a good job of not fighting. Mm -hmm. And I just tell her, I'm like, look, we got to separate dad and coach. Right. And if I talk to you, because, you know, one parent pointed this out to me, really good guys, like, look, he's like, I love you as a coach. He said, but one thing you got to do as a dad coach is when you go on that court, 
you can't tell her to not get frustrated with you, but then you talk to her like a dad. You can't mm-hmm. switch dad, coach, dad, coach. You have to put on coach hat, and she has to put on student hat. Right. And so I tell her, I'm like, hey, look, if I'm talking to you like a dad would, not a coach, then you just call me out, and I'll do the That's same. Awesome. And so it's finally like just you know clicked for because she's crazy feisty like yeah. her mom and why she's <laughs> such a great competitor. Yeah. And so she takes her frustration out on me, and finally it's been like really really good. That's so awesome. Fun. That's got to be a cool experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Being in business, being in sales. Talk to me about that journey. So you're switching career paths ish, like yeah, going from this to that. Start doing well. Have a good coach. Have a good mentor. Someone that cares about you, believes in you, shares a vision with you, shares a dream with you, willing to go through the ups and downs with you. What? How did that start to propel into a business or other things, just going from sales to something else? Yeah. I mean, going from sales to, I mean, now I do a lot of public speaking, right? right? Consulting, training, coaching, different sales teams from all over. Um, I just believe, like anything, there's a lot to be said for actually doing it first rather than trying to teach what you think right. would work theoretically. Yeah. You don't truly understand something until you go through it. Mm. And so for me, you know, I had to go through that. But the great part is I went through it first as a tennis coach, then I went through it as sales. And then I transition now as a public speaker where I can help people with personal development and sales. And the best person that you can teach for everyone is who you once were and help show them where you are now Mm. and where you want to go. Right. And so for me, you know, I look at that entire process and, and if you overcome your weaknesses and turn them into strengths, that actually makes you the best teacher. Because someone just was a great public speaker from day one, they don't understand how or why. Right. They can't teach it. That's right. right? Just if is. you were great at sales, <laughs> yeah. day one never did it. It's like you can't really teach it because you didn't learn it. You knew it. Right. And so I want to flip the script for everyone and empower them and say, look, I believe that those so-called weaknesses are actually your hidden strengths. Mm if you look at it properly, not only if you overcome. And so for me now, I look at sales and how well I did. I mean, it was a, a multi-billion dollar company. Right. And I, I for like new people in the company out of 40 countries, I was number one with my introverted, with my soft-spoken style and personality, right, right with no background. And I didn't try to be anyone else. And so now I can go through the process of exactly what it is that I did, and I can empower people. And then when I started doing it, when Facebook Lives came out, I don't even remember if it was seven years, eight years ago, even though I had such a big audience from sales, I didn't have anyone watch my lives because they were so bad. (laughs) So again, that was new. And it's vulnerable, and it's real, and that's what connects with people. And so I'll show people. I'm like, look, I had business business in 40-plus countries with my sales team and force and all of that stuff, and customers, and I'm getting two or three comments, and one of them's my mom. <laughs> right. Right? Cheering you on yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I'm like, Rob. and it's because I sucked. Right. And that that was painful, mm. right? It attacks, like, your your ego where you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be good, but I'm not good at this. And so I just kept at it, kept at it. But now, same thing. Now I can go teach social media, 
and actually how to do live videos. And I go through the process of what I was bad at and what I learned. And I just stuck with it rather than giving up and right. blaming the algorithm or blaming this or that. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to, right? You yeah. know, I love giving quotes. Don't wish you were easier. Wish you were better, right? right? I think that's Ogmandino. I, sometimes yeah. they're such great coaches. Yeah, they just run, run they everyone's from, saying right? it, but, it's, but they're, they're yeah. solid. I mean, they, yeah. they call them cliches, you know, because it, there's some truth to it. Yeah. That's why they keep repeating. Yeah. There's a lot of truth into it. What? What? How do you? How do you personally, or how do you help other other people um, when they when they have that weakness, or they have that obstacle that's stopping them from something? What? Or they have fear, low self worth, or self doubt mm -hmm. that creeps in. Uh, what? What are some things that you do personally to overcome it, or how do you help other people overcome it? Yeah, a couple of things. First thing is always awareness. Mm. So you got to have awareness of what it stems from, like some of the things you alluded to or mentioned. And so sometimes what I'll do is, is I'll list up, I'll just kind of put a circle on a piece of paper mm. and, and then around the circle, I'll ask them what are, what are their biggest fears, not physical fears, but mental fears. Mm. And they'll be like fear of um, missing out, fear of rejection, fear of success, all these different fears, right? And the list like 10 or so, we'll just keep going and going and going. Mm -hmm. And then after they do, and I, I take all of those and each one I put to the bigger circle. And so it's like mm -hmm. attach it, you know, all these little bubbles that right. attach around it. In the middle, I put fear of judgment. And I say, look, if you removed human beings, you wouldn't have that fear of missing out. You wouldn't have that fear of success. You wouldn't have that fear of failure. You wouldn't have that fear of rejection. All of those fears stem from the mother of all fears, which is the fear of judgment. Wow. And so I'm like, look, this is the first thing we've got to recognize is where it comes from. Mm. And then from there, I say, you've got to learn to talk to yourself more and listen to yourself less. Because a lot of times your brain is, is wired to protect you from worst case, irrational scenarios that are very unlikely to happen. Right. And instead, what you need to do is talk to yourself more and talk yourself through it. Because when you think about it, rationally how funny is it you're on your deathbed and you're like do you remember you know 20 years ago when i was scared to reach out to that person because yeah. they would have said no to me yeah, about whether nobody. it's real estate or small business owner or, you know online seller it doesn't really matter right you laugh about it yes but that's perspective when you're on your deathbed so now what i'm trying to do is give them that perspective then mm. a little bit more now of course it won't be the same right but it comes from that awareness of the fear of judgment Right. Then after that, we focus on vision. And first, what's the bigger vision? Right. And a lot of times, I don't know, just, just want to be out of my job or I just want to get out of debt or I just want to go on family vacations or humanitarian trips or more money. And so we try to get just defined, not crazy defined, right. just a little definition of what do you really want? Because if you don't know, I mean, how do we go chase yeah, it? Yeah, no way to get there. Yeah. And then after that, that's where we go really, really micro. Mm. Because, you know, too many times people get overwhelmed looking at climbing Mount Everest. And right now we're not climbing Mount Everest, even if we are. What right. we're doing is we're putting one foot forward, right? Right foot, left foot, right, right. foot, left foot. So I'm going to teach them how to put their right foot forward and then their left foot and then their right foot and then their left foot, and that's progress. And so we're going to take it and really just go through awareness, big macro vision, and then after that we're just going to focus on the most smallest, simplest thing because it goes back to the word again, progress. If I can get them a little bit of progress, I can get a little bit of momentum, right? Then I, what I can do is have them gain a little bit more hope mm. and excitement. And now they have much more of a willingness to actually 
you know, instead of just crawling forward, then it's walking and then it's jogging and right. sometimes even sprinting. Right. When you go, um, you said the difference between talking to yourself and, and listening to yourself. Can you, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. I think that's extremely insightful. How do you, how do you teach someone to talk to themselves better yeah. if they're in, always listening to the nonsense that's yes. coming into them? So personal clients that I've coached or high-level leaders that I work with is I tell them, and it works for anyone, but I tell them, anytime you have a negative thought come to your mind, I want you to instantly do one of a couple things, depending on where you're at, right? If you're driving or whatever is if you're in your office, I want you to write down three solutions mm. because now what you do is you train, retrain, train, retrain your brain to work for you rather than against mm. you. Your brain becomes solution oriented because we know that our brain is so powerful, but you're the one that calibrates what your brain focuses on. Mm. So is your brain going to focus on problems or solutions because it can't focus on both at the same time? Is yeah. it going to focus on worst case scenario or figuring out a way to make it happen. It doesn't matter if it's sports, it's life, it's relationships, it's business, it's sales. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. If you're driving or something, you know what I mean? You're just like, I can't, or you don't want to leave voice message, whatever. Then instantly you think of three solutions. So mm. if it's like, oh, like, I don't want to reach out to this massive contact because they're busy. I feel like they're just going to massively shut me down. They could make fun of me. Instantly you need to think of three solutions on why they would say yes, why they should say yes. Wow. And as you do that, now your brain's going to start thinking of that, and that's the difference. I mean, I can think of a, a recent business that I put a big offer in, and the big offer that I, that I put in for this, this business, you know, some people be like, they're never going to take that offer. Right. But instead, my brain thought how I just taught, and I thought, well, this these are the things that this person would really be interested. And I mm. listed them and then I narrowed it down to three. Right. And the person said yes. And, you know, my buddy who's like top business broker in the entire country for most transactions, he's like, I've never seen anybody say yes to it. Wow. Now, some of it's luck, right? right? Some of it's skill, timing, all that stuff. But that's what you do is keep training, retraining, training, retraining your brain to work for you rather than against you. And eventually that just becomes a habit. Right. Um, that's, that's amazing, amazing process. I mean, coming with three, three solutions for a potential problem that's there. That's, um, I think that's, um, amazing skill set, uh, to get uh, the habit creates momentum itself, right? The more, the more you do it, the more, the more it continues to grow. You've worked with a lot of people. You worked with a lot of very successful people, different industries. Um, what do what do you see as like a difference between people that are, have that, that ability or the capability or the capacity to not just do it once, but turn it into a, into like a behavior, something that's a part of them and, and actually be able to move towards their big dream versus people that say that they want to, but then for whatever reason stall out. What do you see as the difference between very successful people and just people that are just mediocre? Yeah. So in Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Highly Effective Habits, in that he cites an essay and the essay he cites is the most common denominator of success and look it up it's super simple and this guy spent i don't know it was, he says a large part of his life studying the difference between successful and unsuccessful people and in this study there's there's a couple interesting sentences and i'm gonna just really like 
capture like the summary of those couple sentences, but he said something to the effect of successful people do what unsuccessful people aren't willing to do. And then the key point was, it's not that the successful people necessarily like doing those things, Mm. but they're willing to do it. Mm. And as simple as that is, I know that comes back to, right, the vision. And part of the vision is what you really want. And part of the vision is your belief system and if that's possible. Right. Because everyone wants happiness, right? Everyone has maybe a different definition of happiness. But then we have our own belief systems of if it's possible. And that's why I am so big on creating the stupidest, smallest goals in the world Mm -hmm. to keep us going. I mean, in the last, now it's been 15 years, I haven't missed one day of personal development reading, Mm. but my minimum is just do it. Right. My goal is an hour a day. I travel a lot. Right. My minimum, sometimes I only do it for a minute, but I don't miss. Mm. It's simple things like that. Like, I'm going to brush my teeth no matter what. Right. Right. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm tired, right? <laughs> right. I should be brushing way longer. I'm going to do it no matter what, right? Prayers, I haven't missed in 15 years. Awesome. Sometimes I say prayers, and the man upstairs is probably like, dude, Rob, like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Get back on your knees. That was the world's worst prayer ever. Right. I'm sorry. Right. But I'm just being real. Like that's. But I have to have those minimum goals so that I'm at least right there having a little bit of progress and not falling back because eventually what happens is you miss one day. Right. It turns into one week. Right. One month, one year, and then it turns into the tomorrow goal. Yeah. And the tomorrow goal turns into the never goal. Right. It just never happens. I mean, how many people it's like tomorrow or next week or next Monday or next month or next quarter or next year. And so for me, I just know that I have to have those like stupid, small, simple. And I know that you're not going to be wildly successful from just those, but that keeps my base levels. Mm-hmm. So it keeps things going, and then I choose my focus of where I'm going to go out crazy and, and make things happen. And, and how, how do you maintain that standard for yourself? I mean, even something that, that's that simple, you know, there's a lot of successful people that do yeah. do simple things, but the, it's, it's like a different level of standard. And it's one of the things I admire about you a lot is just this the di- difference between a goal and a standard. I mean, people can set goals, but that that's just yeah. like a Im- – embedded standard i mean it's not you're not talking about one week one month no. one year you're talking 15 years of a couple daily where does that come from and how do how do you maintain this fight versus you versus you like this is just my standard i don't care if it's one minute <laughs> yeah just something where where where's that come from I mean, where does it continue to come from me on day one like you're doing this for 15 years i would have been like are you kidding me right it goes back to one step at a time yeah um, there was someone just extremely successful guy worth, I mean, he's got like 20 companies worth well over a hundred million dollars. And he, he said something that we've all heard before, just in a different way. He said, well, I don't know the key to be successful. And I'm giving all these answers. I thought were pretty good. He's like, nope, 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 nope. I'm like, what is it? Right. He's like, it's going to be so stupid, simple. You won't even believe it. I'm like, okay, tell me, man, what right. is it? And he said, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do mm. it. It'll change everything. Your relationships, your trust in others, your trust in yourself, your confidence in others, your confidence in yourself. He said it just changes everything. And that really set a tone for Mm. me. 
And so I'm very careful on what I say I'm going to do because if I say I'm going to do it, it's not if, it's right. done. Right. Like I tell my friends, if we want to do a competition on like something that's like discipline, I'm like, your best case scenario, you tie me. Right. Like you can't beat me. <laughs> right. Like it's it's done. You can't like, beat me because I don't lose. Yeah, it's just like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it if it's something that's based off of effort. Mm. Not results, can't always control right. it. And so, you know, at the beginning, I, I had like, no one taught me to do this. I like these little checkbox, <laughs> like Excel spreadsheets, yeah. old school. And I'm like checking off and checking off. And, and um, eventually they just, they, they just turned into habits. Yeah. Like I didn't need to track them. They became, they shifted from a goal to a standard to an identity. Wow. And that's the key. I've never heard that. I don't think before. I've ever said that wow. either, but that's fun. <laughs> that's a, that's so, actually a very profound statement. And that's the cool, that's the key, right? Yeah. Like it becomes your identity. When it becomes your identity, that's awesome. I love that. It's a little bit different. Mm. So for me, like I don't even have to set an alarm or reminder or anything. Like I can't, I can't fall asleep unless I've done those mm. things. Um, which is funny if you think back like years ago like you're forcing yourself or can't forget right or anything like that and so that's with everything is we want to just be able to keep shifting up our identity but that's one of the big things that i think people get overwhelmed with because they don't even know like identity like what do i even start right. i mean honestly it's where you start i mean think about it you know i did this with a friend you're someone that doesn't go to the gym at all you hate the gym you're allergic to the gym and <laughs> i did this did this with a, a good friend of mine named lance and this was, I don't know, it was probably 12 years ago. And I said, great, here's your goal. You're going to go to the gym twice a week. I'll show you a couple things to do. It doesn't really matter what right. you do. And you're going to go for 15 minutes. He's like, that won't work. I'm like, trust me, do it. I said, we'll go from there. But I said, as long as you can commit, you will not miss doing that for mm -hmm. the next year. You're good. So he's like, fine, I can at least commit to that. And Lance, at the time, he's been an athlete, has always been in great shape. At the time, he was doing public speaking, way out of shape. And he said, yeah, fine, I'll at least do that. And so he does it. And next thing you know, it, it starts turning into now he's not overwhelmed, so it's one step at a time. Right. Now all of a sudden he's going to the gym five days a week and he's probably going about 30 minutes and he's starting to YouTube things. He asked me to go with him and show him. And you fast forward a couple of years and this guy's in great shape. Wow. Now you fast forward and it's been 10 years and the guy does triathlons. He does Ironmans. Wow. He's done a marathon. He's looking at doing like the Grand Canyon run. And so I joke around with him like, Lance, dude, you took my advice way <laughs> yeah, too serious. That's one step serious. at a time. And took it like a yeah, way too serious. But if we would have started right with all that at the beginning, it would have been so overwhelming. overwhelming. But now, you know, I got him going. And that's that's the biggest key to shifting identity. Now, if he can't work out because of an injury or something, he had a calf injury like a year ago. Like he's like, I'm in a legit bad mood. He's mm. like, I'm so mad. He's like, I had to do just upper body. And his complete identity is shifted. It doesn't matter. He travels right. more than he ever has before, but now he finds time because that's who it's he is. part of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what what has you you like I said, you know, you've done you've done a lot of different things. You're involved in a lot of different things. Looking at a big vision for yourself and your life, like what what is the vision for for your life at this moment, for the rest of your life? What, what's the big vision you have for yourself or what has you most excited about what you're working on yeah. currently today? You know, it's funny. It's it's you think you have it and then it's constantly adapting and, and changing. 
um, for me, you know, being a speaker and, and an author, I started gaining more of an audience and I just love empowering people mm. and making people feel important, but so much so they take action and do more than they ever thought was possible. And I continue to do that and continue to expand that. And, you know, with that, I've, I've always, you know, kept in sight of my goal is, is, is first and foremost, be the best husband that I can, mm -hmm. be the best father that I can. And, you know, even my son's 18, the oldest, I've always thought, you know, like, I want to be like the best freaking grandpa ever. <laughs> yeah. My wife wants to be the best grandma. Like, I want to be there at their sporting events. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I want to actually like not cripple my kids with money, but I'm like, I'd love to fund my mm. grandkids' activities so it doesn't affect my kids' lifestyle because right. I, I think there's importance in learning and growing on their own. Um, I can help them with wisdom and stuff like that, but I'm, I want them to learn on their own financially. And so, you know, that's a big part of the vision. And then recently, about a year and a half ago, my son and all his friends were over and talking and you hear all these different conversations and, you know, some of them great direction, but most of them, there's 12 of them, they really weren't sure what they were going to do, mm. which is normal. Right. But some of the things that were I was hearing, I was like, ah, I'm not sure about that. It's like, oh, I'm never going to be wealthy because I don't have the network like you. He's saying mm. this, my, my friend's son to my son. Okay. So I'm like, all right, that's it. Yeah. So I started doing these teenage mastermind sessions. And now in the last 18 months, I've done 26. Wow. And it's just turned into something that I could have never imagined. Mm -hmm. um, I get 50 to 100 messages every time I do one. Hey, can you do one online? Can you do this <laughs> big event? I'm like, eventually, probably. I was just trying to help my kids out. Right. And then we had 12 of those kids graduate, and we were we got up to 26, 27, and we turned down hundreds just because my theater room's only got so much room. Right. Like, I was just trying to help Sorry. them. But now my daughter's got her friends coming, and like the neck, the one we're doing um, next week, we have 19 of the 20 kids that can come. Like they hate missing. They don't. They're on their phones. They're taking notes. Like the stories. I mean, I could go on and on. We have right. one kid that was suicidal and none of the other kids still know. And my, mm. the mom's texting me like she's never been in such a good mood wow. since the last seven months of the masterminds. Like she's like crying. You got all these other kids, like some starting their own businesses, some that were like scared of anything sales, started doing door to door sales. Wow. And he's like, I'm like, how much you make? He's like, who cares? I failed <laughs> forward. Like you taught right. me. He's like, so I'm like, I'm out there doing it. Wow, man. Like, so that's part of when you say like vision and growing and things come and you just don't know what what the man upstairs has in store right. for you. And so that's become something now that's like been pushing me more and more. Um, I've always connected with the teenagers. Like I, I love like my kids as yeah. teenagers love it. Their friends working with them. And so more and more I focus on that. So we had like this big event locally where we live where we had, I mean, the biggest speakers you've ever heard mm. of. And you had many of them were there and someone just donated. They're like, hey, you want 30 tickets? Your teenagers can go to it. Wow. And most of them all went. Then the next week we got this other big event. Tony Robbins is at the event. Gary Vee's the event. Someone else like, hey, do you want tickets? Donate. Donate. The teenagers all went. And they're like That's sharing awesome. their notes, what was great about it. That's so cool. So it's amazing how, like we talked about, who knows where we'll be in 10 right. years from now. I mean, the goal is just just keep doing your best. That's awesome. What what, what have you learned about, about yourself Um in that process of, you know, just trying to help help your your son or your son's friends or these teenagers? Have you learned something about yourself working with teenagers that maybe you didn't realize about yourself prior to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that when you start working with teenagers again, if there's anything I learned is new audiences or new challenges. Mm-hmm. You, you get in your comfort zone and you feel like you're stretching yourself, but I don't get nervous. I mean, I just spoke in front of 4,000 people in, in South Africa and three days before they're like, you're emceeing the event. I wasn't even nervous. <laughs> right. Like I'm looking at Frazier and yeah. we're like, I'm like, dude, is this crazy? Awesome. Like, how are we not even nervous? Like we did a walkthrough 30 minutes before. That's so cool. I'm like, this is mind blowing that we can do this. And we're just laughing right. about it. Like I would have freaked out right. before, let alone speaking. And they changed my topic 30 minutes before. So we went and found a PowerPoint on Dropbox. And I'm like, yeah, just let's use this. Let's go with it. I'll right. delete half of it. And I didn't feel nervous. Uh, teenagers, I felt nervous. Mm. Uh, it's a new audience, right? right? A little bit harder to keep their attention and, and excitement. And so if anything, it's it was relearning for me, mm. right, of the importance of constantly pushing yourself to get out of your comfort zone, even though it's something that I teach and I preach. And, you know, it's the whole new levels, new devils. And yeah, I'd done it for public speaking and then bigger audiences and, you know, and different audiences all over the world. But then you're speaking to teenagers. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I'm a little, this is, why am I nervous? Like, <laughs> right. this is weird. Right? It's hot in here. Yeah. Like, I'm like, we turn up the heat. haven't felt this in a minute. And so, you know, now it's going back to those basics of, okay, how can I constantly keep pushing myself to feel like a little bit of, of nervous and, and right. a little bit of pressure? That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Where's the best place for people to, to find you or yeah. the spot you want to point them to? Well, a couple places. I mean, you can always find me. Just look up my name, Rob Sperry, and you'll find me on uh, Instagram. You'll find me on Facebook. And then podcast, probably best podcast, social media, Money Machine. Just been focusing on... Money Machine. Yeah. Yeah, man. Where'd yeah. you come up with that name? Like, yeah, it's the just, Money Machine. We went through it. probably like a thousand names. We're like, well, what do we want to teach them? Like, well, what are we teaching them? Like, we're teaching them how to monetize social media. Yeah. And so started that podcast two weeks ago when we got 17 countries that really Dang, listened to awesome. it and so it's 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 fun and then even still i'll learn from it what is the audience like what don't they like right. how can i improve it make it better and what do i focus on and all of that stuff very cool money machine rob yeah. sperry it's a pleasure to have you here before you go you can do the honor as others have oh you get to sign a sticker yes and find a spot on the table for it to go Write a phrase that's important to you or whatever you want to do. It's your sticker. I'm writing it right now. (laughs) My phrase, you'll know when I write it. Die with memories, not with dreams. Yes, die with memories, not with dreams. That is... I love that, man. I I love how you live your life. I love what you do for other people. That's the, the life motto for me. Yes. And that comes from the dramatic experience when I was 16 and learning just the importance of relationships. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just put this front and center so when people sit here, yes. they get to actually see it. That's right. Die with memories, not with dreams. Rob Sperry, you are, you've lived an amazing life. You do wonderful things for so many people. It's an honor and privilege to, to have you here in the studio and I look forward to what's next for you, man. Well, thank 100%. you so much for having me on, and it's always an honor and much respect for everything you've done and you're going to do. Yes, 100%. Stay tuned. Always ride the wave of life and always play big.